Good afternoon, you're listening to Hot Dish Radio on Co-op Radio, radio for the people and not for profit on 91.7 FM here in the good old city of Austin, Texas. I'm your host, Miriam Parker. We were just listening to Texas Sun by Leon Bridges. We're inching closer and closer to fall, but the sun here is ever so present all year long. Before we get started, I wanted to take a moment to say thank you. Thank you to everyone who tunes in daily to co-op and has donated during our drive. Your support of our station is invaluable to us. We look forward to continuing to provide fun and thought-provoking programming. And if you didn't get the chance to donate, there is no time like the present. And now, on to the show. October is Texas Wine Month, so I brought a few of my winemaker friends to chat about this year's harvest in Texas winemaking. We have Ray Wilson, the owner and winemaker for Wine for the People, Danny Rosé, and her newest edition of La Valentina, and she's co-partner in the Growers Project. We also have Randy Hester of CL Buteau and his playful wine series, Papa Frenchie. Y'all, thank you so much for being on the show. Y'all, thank you so much for being on Hot Dish Radio. I'm so excited to have y'all so we can talk a little bit about Texas Wine Month. So for folks who aren't necessarily familiar with your wines, can you kind of give hands a little bit about your winemaking style? My company is Wine for the People, and I produce three different brands in the Texas wine market. My goal is to just be making really consistent quality wines that I think are well-suited to our climate, what I'm working with for the grape varieties, but also for the styles. I have Dandy Rosé, which has still and sparkling the Grower Project, which is a collaboration with Andrew Side's Lost Draw Sellers, and then a third label that is kind of a special small release. The first releases will be this October in Texas Wine Month, and that's called La Valentia. What is that named after? Valentia translates to courage or bravery, and my grandmother's family name, it was German, but it means courageous. And so I was looking for something that kind of embodied that. She was a really amazing person in my life. And I think that word for me kind of also having in Spanish language, that's a feminine word. And so to me, it really kind of embodied uh, what I wanted to show in these wines and kind of in the brand. It's a lot of wines that I think show my passion in the industry, but also having come from someone that kind of pushed me into things that weren't always the easiest. And I think women in the wine industry are kind of, you know, it takes a bit of bravery. Love it. I love it. Randy, you want to share a little bit about your wine? C.L. Buto is the name of my brand. C.L.Buto.com. B-U-T-A-U-D. And brand is named after my great-grandfather. His given name was C.L. Buto, but everybody called him Frenchie. And uh, the kids called him Papa Frenchie. And so those are the two names of our, of, of our brands. We have... Uh, the first wines that we came out with starting in 2014 uh, were all through the CL Buto lineup, kind of planted my flag on Tempranillo. And then we branched into a different price point brand, a little more playful. Uh, we call it Papa Frenchie. The Papa Frenchie brand allows me to find new varietals, new growers, new processes. It allows me some experimentation. One of the great things about the Texas wine industry is that it's not an established industry. And the advantage there is that we don't have specific varietals that we're expected to work with. What we're allowed to do here in Texas and what I try to do is I try to figure out what are the best varietals coming out of this state. It's a huge state with a lot of variables. I try to find what works best and I make those wines. 
We're not confined, say, in Bordeaux. We're not confined to Cabernet and Merlot and Sauvignon Blanc. Or if we're in Burgundy, we're confined to Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. Here in Texas, we're not confined by that tradition. So what I try to do is find the varietals that work best for the state and then try to make those the best way that I know how. Love it. I felt like this year was a really good harvest for y'all. So what do you think it was? Do you think it was just like a lot of rain, great sun? You know, what made this harvest a good harvest for y'all? For me, I love every single wine I have in the winery right now. Everything from the rosés to the white wines to the red wines to both brands to all levels. And a lot of it has to do with a natural occurrence last fall, I think, where there was a devastating freeze on the high plains and it cut into the tonnage being produced. And so what happened was the tonnage that was left on the vines was actually able to grow better flavors, grow better aromas. For once in the vines' lives, the vines weren't overcropped. I think they were able to actually produce good fruit because of the lower tonnage. What about you, Ray? What made this year a good year for you? Yeah, I mean, I very much agree with what Randy said. I think that that naturally controlling how much those vines are yielding and how much is asked of them to yield, that's really where the difference between making an average quality wine to a great wine. And so that natural occurrence had other realities involved with growers. I think that on the winemaker side, it really did show us more concentration and lower yields, which gave us uh, greater grapes to work with. And I think that overall, in the last couple of years, we hit a lot of rain around harvest time, which is always really rough. And this year, for the most part, in both the high plains and the hill country, we had really nice ripening and didn't hit rains around that time. So that allowed us also some, a little bit of freedom to get that get that fruit in while it's at its peak. Any new rattles that you are playing with this round? Yeah, sure. I've got my second vintage of a Pinot Gris Rosé that I'm pumped up about. It's a skin contact Pinot Gris. And then because of the low tonnage, my focus this year was make great wine. Then knowing that we didn't have the selection that we're going to have normally from our bigger growers, uh, my focus became find new sources. And so with those new sources, like I found so many great, great growers this year. I'm so excited to be working with. With that comes other varietals. I'm working with Sinso for the very first time. I have a lot of experience with Grenache, and Sinso winemaking is very similar to how I make Grenache, and so um, that's been exciting to do. Ray, you've worked with Kunwaz before. Yes, I have. Yeah. I've made a little bit of it for a blend for my California wines, but this is the first year I've, I've made Kunwaz in Texas, and Ray and I are actually tag team in that wine. And we absolutely adore where the wine is right now and then where it's going. So that's been a lot of fun. Is this like a class or both producing a wine with it this year? I've gotten Cunois for the last few years, actually. The previous two years, though, it's gone into my rosé, which it's typically lends itself easily toward that style because it's a very thin skin variety. It doesn't have a lot of color similar to Grenache in that way, but it has all kinds of great fruit tones. And so Randy and I decided to do a collaboration with this wine and do it as a red wine and 
do some playing with some different processes and making it and kind of going with a really interesting kind of traditional take on it. But it's a lot of fun to play with that variety in a different way, also with a, with Randy. And so to kind of take both of our views on it and where we can go with it and then kind of come up with a, a plan together. I'm also working with Dolcetto this year. I've always loved uh, Dolcetto, yeah. but I've never worked with it. And so I'm very excited about that wine. Also from a different area that I've never worked with fruit from, and it's a, from Floyd County, which is about an hour northeast of Lubbock. So completely different from even the rest of the High Plains. And really different area, different variety, and one that I really have not seen a lot of in Texas. But a beautiful vineyard, and the fruit was gorgeous when it came in, so I'm excited about that wine too. I've mostly focused on French varieties for the most part in the past. Well, we're going to take a brief break, and we'll be right back. And we're back. So let's talk about Texas winemaking in general. We've had this conversation before, but you know, I just find that every year continues to grow and further develop. So I'm curious, what are some common misconceptions that consumers have, or even just the media, about what Texas winemaking looks like? I would say it's that immediate reaction that you that you still get sometimes when, when people go, uh, Texas wine, or oh, you make wine in Texas? That's a misconception that really rubs me the wrong way because there's a lot of people making a lot of good wine here in Texas. And it's been a matter of getting the vineyards, getting the, the, the growers up to speed on what they're doing. They're not following the commodities route, but following the route for premium grape production for the purpose of winemaking. There's so many capable, competent folks that can really make good wines. And so, yeah, there's a lot of good wines to be consumed from Texas. And so that's kind of one of the things that I think there's a misconception. It's, it's not just, I mean, look how big this state is. Look, look at all of the intelligent people in the state of Texas. You, you, you know, you, 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 have to, you have to understand we can put this thing together and do something really good with it. And it's, and it's happening. Yeah, I agree. I 100% agree. Right? Do you have some thoughts on this? I completely second all of that. And in addition, I would say, you know, something that I think anybody that talks to me about Texas wine, I, you know, they're probably sick of hearing it, but I'll say it over and over, which is that this place cannot be spoken about as one place. It's larger than the entire country of France. And as we know, I mean, certainly they have a couple thousand years head start on us, but no one would ever refer to France as being one variety or one type of climate or one thing going on. So I think that when we make wine, we have to think generationally. We can't just say like immediately, we're going to make great wine. And by the next five years, we all of a sudden are a great wine region. It just doesn't work that way. We have an annual harvest one chance a year to do everything from hoping that we have the right variety and the right rootstock in the ground, the right type of farming, and the endless amounts of variables that go into winemaking just on the growing side, and then you get it into the cellar. We have to look at this as many generations out and investing now for a future, but I do think that what we're seeing now are still very much in its infancy, but some folks who took some steps in the 70s and 80s who have allowed us now to take some more steps the more that we share information, the faster and more rapid that process will go of improving quality and things. 
I think the biggest thing that I always come back to is just it can't speak about Texas as though it's one thing or that there's one variety or one style that's going to be made here. It's going to be a large range, and there's no reason that this place won't be on the map of some of the world's great wine regions. Not that long ago, Washington State, New York State, New Zealand, for that matter, weren't even on people's maps. There are always emerging wine regions, and we're definitely one of them. It does make me excited and very hopeful. There's definitely a lot of great wines out there. One more thing, you hear wine professionals say a lot, know your producer. I think that's very important here. You can go to France, you can stumble on great wine. You can go to California, you can stumble on great wine. But still, if you know your producer, you know that that producer consistently makes great wines. That's the producer that you want to go buy and support all the time. It's, it's the same way here in Texas. Know your producer. Know that that producer makes consistently great wine year in and year out. And then it's easy to then branch out to go find Texas wines and then to branch out and find other Texas wines just by using that thought process of just know your producer. Ray, you kind of touched on this a little bit, and I wanted you to share a little bit more about your experience as a female in the wine industry. What is it like for you? So I think it's just very clearly a male-dominated field, both on the front end side as a wine professional um, in restaurants, having been a sommelier. Very much, you know, it is changing, and there are more uh, female wine professionals on that side of the business. And it is changing on the production end as well, but a bit more slowly. And when we look overall at percentages, even in a place like California, you're still looking at under 10% of uh, female winemakers. And then when you're talking about female winemakers who own their own brands or wineries, you go even lower. So I think raising the visibility, which allows then for other people to see themselves as that being a possibility for them, the more that we limit the amount of the population that can see themselves or find an entry point into any given business, then we're really limiting how much we're allowing for any kind of real progress in that industry. To me, the biggest thing is the goal of opening this industry up to that many more people coming in and being able to access it, learn more about it, and bring that much more a variety of views and experiences and ideas and innovations to the industry. So that's where I focus, and that's where a lot of my goals are, both personally as well as in, in my business. I'm working to establish kind of a internship, scholarship, kind of a apprenticeship, kind of a, a program where it really allows for people to find some places of entry and learn more about it. That's amazing. That's awesome. Before you um, started making wines in Texas, you did take some time in Napa to learn more in depth about winemaking. What do we need to do as an industry to get us where we feel like we're kind of in line with what Napa is doing these days? We hear a lot of times that the Texas wine industry is very much like early Napa. So what do we need to do to get there where do where we can get that same level of respect? I think the main thing that we lack is just a, a cooperative effort. If you look at Washington, Oregon, if you look at early Napa, People were cooperating and people had a common goal and they teamed up and moved forward together in a very strong way. Clearly, we now see these regions, they're, they're very strong, world-renowned regions. I don't see that in Texas. I don't see a solid, cooperative, strong, forward-moving effort. There's a lot of smaller groups, a lot of infighting, and I think that this industry is booming 
Texans cannot get enough Texas wine. And so there's plenty of room for everyone to exist in a friendly space here. I just wish that we could agree on our direction forward and join forces to work in that direction. Until we do that, we're not going to go forward as fast established as we should. We, we have a lot of strong individuals in our industry. If we were all on the same team, man, it'd be scary with the Texas industry. And we could kick that, oh, Texas wines are no good. You know, we could kick that attitude. We were working towards common goals. To me, that's the problem. We're not really working towards common goals. I definitely witnessed that and seen that firsthand. On to what's next for y'all. Any new releases are going to be coming out soon? Anything that you, you are kind of ending the year with that you're excited to talk about? So the wine that Ray and I are collaborating on is going to be a house wine for us, and it's going to be a house wine at our new shared tasting room that we're going to be opening this winter. So pickled, and I was really hoping that y'all were going to talk about it today. Um, <laughs> super, super stoked for y'all. So let's talk about it. Do you want to share a little bit more about what y'all have envisioned for the tasting room? Yeah, where we talk about, you know, kind of collaboration and supporting and, you know, finding like-minded folks to really forward this industry together. Although we don't see it on the larger scale as much at this point, I still think it's something that finding like-minded producers and finding ways to raise our visibility together, you know, is something that I think will improve in, in the entire industry. So it's been exciting to find that with Randy and find that, you know, we have a lot of uh, similar goals of, of the way that we produce wines. And we're really excited about opening a tasting room, creating space that's really just hospitality first and really showing people what uh, the potential of the quality wines that we can make in this state and really highlighting that in a, in a space together. So I'm very excited about it. And in an area that's very accessible to Austin in the Fitzhugh district, which is just, just west of the city. So close, but just in the country, just enough where you get a nice hill country view. When can people come in and check it out? Are you guys thinking like November, December? We're moving as quickly as possible, and it should be coming very soon. December, probably. You know, it'll be this winter. We're trying to get the space ready, and so it's comfortable and, and welcoming and I love working with Ray, and Ray, Ray and I spend a lot of time together, and it's been fantastic. It's kind of been like this university of winemaking where we're we're bouncing off of each other all the time. <laughs> but now we get to be in this space together where we can welcome our guests, where we can host our guests and sit down with with all of our supporters and and sit down and have a flight of wine and and go through a guided tasting. It's it's very exciting to be able to get face to face on a daily basis with our people. That's what I'm that's what I'm most looking forward to. Ray? Agreed. Yeah. That energy uh that Randy's talking about that, you know, we've gotten to really appreciate from uh working with each other and uh producing wines um you know out of the same space and really um just being able to benefit from that um, kind of ongoing conversations and building our knowledge around processes and all of that, it just makes it that much more exciting to create a space together to allow, um, to, to, you know, yeah, welcome people into it and really kind of bring that energy to um, our guests and show that off and, um, 
and also welcome in, you know, bringing more people into that picture and exposing uh, more people to um, what we're doing, which is also then, you know, uh, what's happening in this area of the world. So I'm extremely excited about it. Well, I'm thrilled. Congratulations, y'all. I, I cannot wait. I hope you don't mind me. I'm going to be there probably like every weekend for a good time. We'll take it. For people who want to learn more about what y'all are doing to purchase your wine, where what websites do they need to go to get more information and do that? Wine for the People, you can go to wineforthepeople.com, and that will link you to the different individual brands. You'll find all the information on there, what will be happening in our physical space, as well as any kind of online availability and things like that. Yeah, and you'll link through as well to the brand new production, which is called La Valentia. And so all three of those will be from wineforthepeople.com. And you, Andy? We're clbuto.com. clbuto.com. And then, of course, Instagram. We're, we love playing on, on Instagram and then uh, and Facebook. You are very, very active on Instagram, so it's great to keep up with both of y'all. And, and you can also get Papa Frenchie on your website too, Randy, right? Yes. I've, I've got to redo my website. I mean, I, we love our website, but, I, yeah, I've got some changes coming. Well, thank you all so much for being on Hot Dish Radio. I'm so, so excited, and congratulations on all the fun stuff that's happening. I can't wait to drink all the wines from this, from this harvest. I think they're going to be amazing. So, congrats. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's always a pleasure. All right, y'all. Y'all have a great day. Hugs all Thank you, Miriam. Right, you. <laughs> you Bye, y'all. You Bye. 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 Well, that's it for today. Thank you to Ray Wilson of Wine for the People and Randy Hester of CL Buteau for being on the show. I'm so excited about their new tasting room. Thank you for tuning in today and for supporting Hot Dish Radio and Co-op. We appreciate your support. We'll be closing out today's show with Yesterday's Wine by the great Willie Nelson. Until next time.